Let us continue our series in Luke's Gospel, turning again to the 10th chapter, beginning in the 38th verse. This incident of Martha and Mary is found only in Luke's Gospel, not in any other And interestingly enough, follows upon the parable of the Good Samaritan that we saw last week, speaking, I think, very specifically to us Christians about the balance that is to be brought into our Christian lives that should exist between the way in which we spend time alone with the Lord and worship together and the way in which we also serve. Will you pray with me before reading? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful, thankful beyond measure that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is operative in your people, that the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit raised us from the dead, and that we are now seated in union with Christ in the heavenly places and are blessed with every spiritual blessing in him. Justified by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone, but also thankful that as we are accepted judicially, morally, we are now also progressively being transformed on the basis of the once-for-all sacrifice and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We, your people, on our way to heaven, need the operation of the work of your Spirit within our hearts to change and transform us. And as we come to this text, and as we hear the preaching of the word, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, Wednesday after Wednesday, and at every opportunity, may we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But may those who are here today who do not know Jesus, who are strangers to your grace, may they be drawn out of darkness and into light through, again, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit on whom we depend as we now turn to this word that is given by inspiration of this same Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, our mediator, we ask and pray these things. Amen. Will you now take your copy of God's word and stand as we begin reading Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 38. This is the word of God. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God. One thing is needful, one thing is preeminent, 
One thing is paramount in the life of every true Christian. What is that one thing? Well, I think it will become evident as we examine the text together. So we turn to it now, and the first thing we see, the very first, is two women, two attitudes. Two women, two attitudes. Jesus takes a meal at Martha's house. Evidently, this is Bethany. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Bethany, by the way, is a little hole in the road. It is a country village. The Lord Jesus is not simply concerned with the city, as we saw so often here today. He is concerned with small, out-of-the-way places and people who will never be noticed by the world. So there he is in this little place of Bethany. Either Martha's husband is absent or she is not married, we are not told, but Martha lives there and her sister Mary is also there. From John 11, if you were here Sunday night, you would have heard John 11 preached. In John 11, we are told that Jesus loved this family. This is the family of which Lazarus is the brother. Martha is running about. She's preparing a meal. Now, there's much here that is immediately commendable. She honors the Christ and evidently his attendants. She obviously wants to do a really good job for the Lord. And in her household duties, she wants to look well to the ways of her household. But as we shall see, her heart was focused preeminently on these things rather than Christ. And indeed, she was focused on these things to the point of distraction. Her care for these things became a snare for her soul. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she is listening to him and hearing the word of God. As a disciple would sit at the feet of a rabbi, such as later Paul would sit at the feet of Gamaliel. Women did not do that. We have a surprise here that it emphasizes that it was a woman who is sitting as if she were the disciple at Jesus' feet. Matthew Henry, the old Puritan, said, We must either sit at Christ's feet or be made his footstool. But if we sit with him at his feet now, we shall sit with him on his throne shortly. So it was Mary who sat there, and on her own initiative, it really literally could be translated, she sat down beside. And so on her own, she came and she sat down, and she is listening to the teaching of Jesus. Those who were sensitive, says Daryl Bach, those who were sensitive to him recognize that he invites them to come to him. They sense that he will receive them, that he is ready to teach all types of people. And evidently, Mary knows that the Lord Jesus wants her there. So we have Martha, this one woman, who is very concerned with the cares of this world. And we have Mary, who continually listens to Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he is called in this passage. But then we move on in the text, and we secondly see Martha's complaint. And we see that complaint by looking together at verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. In other words, Lord, I'm slaving in the kitchen. I'm trying to lay the table. I'm just trying to work really hard to please you. And look at my sister. She's just sitting there listening to you. Can't she help me in my diakonin in my ministry? 
Can't she help me in my service? And Martha stresses the word manas here. She stresses that she is alone. I am by myself doing all of this work. And so she comes to Jesus to complain. Jesus, don't you care? Uh, Mary has left me to hear you. And so can't you tell her that she should come and help me? Martha thinks that she needs to instruct Jesus what he ought to do. I'm sure you've never done that. Lord, don't you see the circumstance I'm in, the problem I'm facing? Here's what you need to do, Lord. And so she thinks she needs to instruct Jesus. And her complaint shows a worldly heart, and she even becomes bitterly censorious against her sister. Now, the text makes plain that Martha is distracted by her service. The word that is used here means to be or to become distracted. The old version had that she was cumbered with many needs. She wants Mary to help carry the load. Sunantilambanatai is a word that basically means carry the other end. So she wants her to come and take up the share of the load to help carry the other end, to come and to help and to aid her in her need. And Martha's too busy for Jesus and wants Mary to be too busy also for Jesus. Often those who prioritize devotion to Christ meet with those who want to discourage devotion. A person is converted and an entire family may tell him that he's foolish, foolish to spend all of this time in the word, all of this time in prayer, all of this time in worship. But how much more difficult it is when a Christian is is censored by another Christian because of the time and effort and attention you're giving to Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Well, then we see moving along, thirdly, Mary's right choice. Mary's right choice, verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And so he uses this double vocative, this, um, the, the, the noun of direct address. And he says, oh, Martha, oh, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled. And this weighty comment that I'm making to you with this double vocative, Martha, Martha, means you need to listen to what I'm telling you. You're anxious and troubled about many things. You're forgetting me. You're forgetting what is most important. Now, it may be, it probably is, that some of you listening to this this morning are very sympathetic with Martha. Uh, many of you have been in situations in which you're serving and other people aren't, and perhaps uh, you are bearing the load alone. Uh, perhaps you can see yourself in this situation and you could say, well, Mary ought to get up and help Martha. Well, I understand that, but I think we're forgetting one thing. What is in this text that is not written is that Jesus knows each heart. Jesus knows Mary, and Jesus knows Martha, and he knows their hearts, and he knows my heart, and he knows your heart as well. Jesus knows that Martha is overly concerned with care for the meal, that she 
She is concerned with things in her heart that overwhelm her and consume her, that she's troubled about many things, that she doesn't have a heart that is filled with calm, quiet, peace, devotion, but only with getting things done, that she has an inordinate care for legitimate things, an inordinate care for legitimate things. But in verse 42, he says, Mary has chosen well. She knows what matters. She knows the one who counts. And literally, well translated here, she has chosen the good portion. Now that's the language of the meal, you see. She has chosen the right meal. She has chosen the right food. She has chosen the feast of God's word. Food that will not be taken away from her. The right portion of which you read so constantly in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 119.57, Thou art my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep thy words. She has a heart that is needing to be taught, that is ready to be taught, that wants to commune with Christ. And so essentially the Lord Jesus is saying to Martha, whose heart he knows exhaustively, he is saying, slow down, Martha, come sit at my feet, Martha, come and hear God's word, Martha, yeah, we, we want to eat, but we'll get there, Martha, right now, it's time, it's time to commune together and hear the word that I speak. As one commentator says, the worries of life should never prevent one from consuming God's word, which is the main thing that we take from this text. Is there a more important thing than this? Psalm 73, 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. Now listen, I will not, I will not regret on the day of judgment standing before my congregation and saying, listen, heart and soul pour yourself into the worship of God, both in public and in private. Uh, Heart and soul, pour yourself into it. Be there every opportunity, morning, evening, Wednesday night if possible. Open your Bible privately. Read the scriptures. You know, in the past, it hasn't happened lately. There may be people who are angry with me who haven't told me. But in the past, there were people who were very angry with me because I would insist, you want to grow in grace, you need to be here Sunday morning and Sunday evening. You need to be here to hear God's word every time it's open because God has appointed these means for your growth in grace. Well, they got angry. I didn't stop. I kept saying it. And I will continue to say it. Why? Because it's true, because it honors Christ, because on the day of judgment when I stand before him, I want my ministry not to be hay, wood, and stubble that is burned up, but gold, silver, and precious things that last, and because I love you. And it is really true. If you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ as a true believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be in the Word, publicly read and preached, God worship publicly and also in private worship. And so in verse 42, he says, there is one thing, may I use the old version? There is one thing needful. There is one thing needful, Martha. And Mary's heart attitude is pointing to that one thing. 
Now let it be perfectly plain that the Lord is not saying that a life of service and one of contemplation and communion are somehow opposed to one another or dichotomized. Geldenheis, the Dutch commentator, says, what we do learn here is that in our life's active service, we must not be anxious and agitated, sulky and dissatisfied with our fellow Christians or with our master, and that we should not busy ourselves to such an extent with outward things that we neglect the quiet worship of the Lord. So you see, when things are right in our communion with Christ, then things will be right in our daily service to him. All of which brings me to the fourth thing, even though I have made some application, the fourth thing, one thing needful. One thing needful, various applications. Now, as I make application more specifically about this simple text, nothing esoteric here, very simple to understand. The first thing I want to do is to speak to believers in Jesus and let me discourage the Martha spirit. It is easy to be filled with activity without piety, as if the end were the fulfillment of the service rather than Christ himself. We may work in the church, we may be very industrious, and so we should but we can do so with no thought of Christ. We can do so without prayer. We can do so neglecting devotion. We can forget that the Lord tells us that they that wait upon the Lord are the ones who renew their strength. We can forget that Jesus says that he who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. We can serve Christ and forget to love Christ in the process. And in our service, we can put self in the place of Christ also. And we can even become censorious of other believers who do not share our priorities. Lord, will you tell that person to come and help me in this particular area of service? And Maybe that person should. But that person also may have devotion and ways of serving Christ that you may not know and that may even be done in secret. Now, in a church this size, I think I can say, without having any one person in mind, some of you are not doing enough. I can also say, some of you are doing too much to the detriment of your own soul. But I can say to all of us, whatever you do, do it with a heart filled with Christ. You know, we can even begin to think that the Lord needs us, We're so self-centered. And yes, you should be zealous to serve the Lord Jesus, but never think that he needs you. He doesn't need me. So if I die of a heart attack in this pulpit, that's the way I'd like to go. (laughs) You'll have another pastor very soon, and you'll keep moving. So we can become prideful and spoil our service to Jesus. Doesn't he send the rich away empty? Does he not say in Isaiah, to this man I will look even to him that is poor and of a contrite heart and trembleth at my word? I can only encourage service. But when that is the main thing, we have forgotten the main spring. And it is possible for us to serve Jesus and Jesus be really on the back burner and not even considered. 
The Martha spirit is often an anxious, worried spirit. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything but by prayer and supplication. You know the passage. Calvin rightly says, unbelief is the mother of every anxiety. Do we believe God is sovereign or don't we? Unbelief is the mother of every anxiety. And I'm learning that right along with you. But also as I address believers, I'd like to, having discouraged the Martha spirit, I want to encourage the Mary spirit. I encourage you to prioritize the one thing needful for you, and that one thing needful is knowing God and communing with Christ and getting to know better and better and more and more your Savior. So you say, how can I do that? Let me give you at least a few suggestions. Get clutter out of your lives. For example, except today when you're watching a report from your elders about the evening service, it's the Lord's Day. What do you need to go to internet for? You know, cut off the electronic devices. Social media can be rightly used, but most people so abuse it. Just set it aside. Take all of that precious time that will never be recaptured and spend time with Jesus. Sit at your master's feet. Well, you say, how do I do that? How do I sit at my master's feet? Take time with him in personal communion. Read your Bible slowly, thoughtfully, prayerfully, much, and often because, as I often say, if we do not fill our minds with God's word, we will be radically deceived. Increase your attendance on public worship. Treasure private and public worship. Fill your heart with the preached word. Long for the sacrament of the Lord's table. Read solid materials that will grow you in grace. The men on Friday mornings that gather with Pastor McDonald, Pastor McDonald is leading them through J.C. Ryle's practical religion, that godly English divine of the 19th century. You just read the essays on prayer, on Bible reading, on coming to the table, and tell me if a slow reading of those things will not grow you in grace. Ryle says that our lives either flourish or decay with private prayer. That our danger is not in praying too much, but too little. He says, I am afraid the private devotions of many are most painfully scanty and limited, just enough to prove that they are alive and no more. They really seem to want little from God. They seem to have little to confess, little to ask for, and little to thank Him for. They complain that they are not getting on. They have quite as much grace as they ask for. Let me invite J.C. Ryle into the pulpit with that very book. You know what? Somebody here is in a backslidden condition. You're not praying. You're not reading your Bible. You can remember a time where, oh, how you communed with Christ, how you loved his word, how you loved to be on your knees. You barely crack your Bible now. You're hardly ever on your knees. You call yourself a Christian. 
Here's what J.C. Ryle has to say. It is a miserable thing to be a backslider. Of all unhappy things that can befall a man, I suppose it is the worst. A stranded ship, a broken-winged eagle, a garden overrun with weeds, a heart without strings, a church in ruins, all these are sad sights. But a backslider is a sadder sight still. That true grace shall never be extinguished and true union with Christ never be broken off, I feel no doubt. But I do believe that a man may fall away so far that he shall lose sight of his own grace and despair of his own salvation. And if this is not hell, it is certainly the next thing to it. A wounded conscience, a mind sick of itself, a memory full of self-reproach, a heart pierced through with the Lord's arrows, a spirit broken with a load of inward accusation, All this is a taste of hell. It is a hell on earth. Truly, that saying of the wise man is solemn and weighty. Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Now, what is the cause of most backsliding? Asks Ryle. I believe as a general rule, one of the chief cases is neglect of private prayer. Of course, the secret history of falls will not be known till the last day. I can only give my opinion as a minister of Christ and a student of the heart. That opinion is, I repeat distinctly, that backsliding generally first begins with neglect of private prayer. Bibles read without prayer. Sermons heard without prayer. Marriages contracted without prayer, journeys undertaken without prayer, residences chosen without prayer, friendships formed without prayer, the daily act of private prayer itself hurried over and gone through without heart. These are the kind of downward steps by which many a Christian descends to a condition of spiritual palsy or reaches the point where God allows him to have a tremendous fall. This is the process which forms the lingering lots, the unstable Samsons, the wife-idolizing Solomons, the inconsistent Aces, the pliable Jehoshaphats, the over-careful Marthas, of whom so many are to be found in the church of Christ. Often the simple history of such cases is this, they become careless about private prayer. That's his essay on prayer being read by our men on Friday mornings, some of them. Are you in a backslidden condition? How do I know, Pastor? Come on. One of them. You neglect opening your heart to God, confessing your sins, seeking his face, asking him to show you any wicked way within you, depending upon him in prayer, communing with him, loving him, talking with him as a child with the Father. But let me point something out that I think is important. As I encourage the Mary spirit, Mary was the kind to sit at her master's feet and she acted out of a heart that welled up with real love. Don't say the Mary spirit does not serve. 
the Mary spirit serves best, most deeply, most thoughtfully, most creatively, most sincerely, most devotedly. And I'll give you an example of it if you'll turn with me to John chapter 12. This would have been later, and after the resurrection of Martha and Mary's brother, Lazarus, in John 12, 1 through 8. This is Mary. John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now I want to ask you something. How was it? That Mary, of all of the people around Jesus, all the disciples, all the followers, all who heard him there in Bethany, how was it that she knew that he was about to die and that she should anoint him out of love, anticipating his death on the cross? I will tell you, because she sat at his feet and loved him, and listened to him, and was devoted to him. While some others were just busy and didn't even hear. So if you will develop a merry spirit as a Christian, you will be a better servant. Not less of one. But now, Thirdly, I want to speak to unbelievers who may be here that don't know Jesus. You don't commune with Christ because you don't know Christ. George Whitfield, you know of whom I speak? 18th century evangelist, came to this country so many times, thousands upon thousands in England and America came to faith in Christ under his ministry. He preached a sermon from this verse 42. The authorized version, One Thing Needful, and he entitled the sermon, as I do, One Thing Needful. For believer and unbeliever alike, the one thing needful is the care of your soul. But if you are an unbeliever, it is the one thing needful that you are neglecting. You may take vitamins, you may go to the gym, you may take immaculate care of your outward appearance, Uh, You may have a great bank account or plan to. 
You fill your life with work, you fill your life with entertainment, but you are not ready to meet God. And you are near death, all of us are, and yet you're thoughtless about Christ and eternity. And without the one thing needful, you will lose your soul forever for all that you gain, the temporary things of this world. Let me give you a vignette from the life of Whitfield. He was in this country, Massachusetts, Connecticut, one of the states up there, and he was speaking with an unbelieving friend with whom he had been staying. And this friend was very well off. He was a leader in his community. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of things. He was so wrapped up in this passing world, he didn't know Christ. So Whitfield stayed the night in the home of that wealthy man who was rich in this world's goods and destitute of saving grace. And early in the morning, George Whitfield got up and he took a diamond, one of the most precious things this world has to offer. And he wrote with the diamond on one of the panes in the guest room where he was staying. He took the diamond and he etched in one thing needful. 1740s, last I knew it was still there. One thing is needful for you if you do not know Christ, and that is to put your trust in him. One thing is needful for you, and that is the care of your own soul. For what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? May God make the awful thought of a debt you cannot pay, the weight of eternity without Christ, the love of God and the gospel of the cross, May he make these things awakening to your soul through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. May he show you the care of the soul is the one thing needful. And God's people said, amen.